and it is a pleasure and honor to be here to bring to you some great pertinent information on sustainable packaging. As Adam said, my name is Keiko Vady and I know all about packaging, and but I don't know everything. I know all about it, but these experts here have had a lot of background and information, and it's an honor to be able to introduce them to you. I have directly to my right here, I have Alex Corin, and Alex, just say a couple things about you and your company and what you do in the industry. Um, I'm CEO and founder of Uncanny Wellness, and we do water-soluble CBD products. I started the company in 2016, um, constantly on the quest for more sustainable packaging, and came up with some creative solutions myself, which I will be sharing. And we have right next to them Heidi Ernest, and she is actually an attorney in the cannabis field, and she has some great information on the legalities as well as moving forward on how we can create good businesses with great packaging. Heidi? Yes, I agree. And one of the things I'd really like to do on this panel and being here at this uh, entire event is to answer your questions and really empower you so that you can be uh, the brand that is able to make it through the year of 2019, which is going to be very disruptive in the CBD markets because of the 2018 Farm Bill. And I'd also love to be able to provide you forecasting services. The only way you're going to be able to actually implement sustainable packaging is if your sustainable packaging processes are flexible and you can be able to keep up with the new changes in the law. And that's something that we can help you do is look down the road and establish the R&D, establish the new processes that are gonna let you lead the way and also really bring those consumers towards you, which I think you're going to see a huge, huge emphasis on, particularly when the 2018 Farm Bill gets passed and Walmart steps into the space, Target steps into the space. Your brand, your sustainability, your social responsibility will be an asset to you, particularly in this industry. So I'm looking forward to empowering you and listening to your questions and uh, helping to develop this industry. Wonderful, Heidi. Thank you so much. And right next to her is the very handsome um, Aubrey Logan Holland. And Aubrey, tell us a little bit about you and your platform. Thank you, Keiko. <clears throat> yes, my name is Aubrey Logan Holland. I'm the CEO and co-founder and, and executive chairman of Blue Dream Industries, LLC. Uh, we're an Atlanta-based branding and consulting firm uh, for the cannabis space. And uh, in 2016 is when we started the company. Uh, ancillary products were the main thing that we were launching, our own brands of ancillary products. And uh, over about a six-month time period, we saw how uh, much, for lack of a better word, how much um, room for growth there was on the packaging side and a lot, and a lot of branding so um, those are some things I want to some points I definitely want to touch on today is just because uh, I have a background in the natural products industry and I seen I see a lot of the parallels in the natural products and the cannabis industry in regards to the packaging and overall branding of people's of people's brands they're bringing to the marketplace wonderful Aubrey thank you so much and right next to him he's pinch hitting in for us uh, is um, Carlton Bone and Carlton thank you so much for coming and helping us out and could you tell us a little bit about what you do 
Absolutely, no, thank you. I'm really honored to be here. Uh, I wear a couple of hats, but the one most relevant to here is that I do product development work for a branding firm in Portland, Oregon named Potency. Uh, in that capacity, I also wear a little bit of a lobbying hat and do a bit of networking. And I'm here to sort of talk about what's going on in the cannabis world with THC products, how uh, regulatory frameworks have created maybe an unsustainable kind of packaging dilemma, and what lawmakers and you know advocates in this space are thinking about doing and what implications that will have on manufacturers, consumers, and how we might be able to get ahead of potential regulatory burdens to come. Thank you so much, Carlton. And here's a question that I have for you, wonderful ladies and gentlemen out in the audience, just so we can really feel who you are and what we can do to respect and deliver to you information. How many of you have a brand right now? Wonderful. And how many of you are looking to actually to get into the space to maybe build a brand or company with products? Great. Well, I think we've all come to the right place. So um, looking forward then. Um, panelists, let's think about certain items out there in sustainable packaging that we have found to be a, a hurdle right now in the industry. And um, Alex, do you want to go ahead and start on that? Yeah, sure thing. So. You know, I've had uh, capsules and different powders, so I've needed packaging from, you know, bottles, tubs of different sizes, and really there's not much out there as far as sustainable options. Uh, when you get into, like, the real big level distribution, like national brands that are already moving millions of units, then they could kind of, you know, have, uh, throw a little more weight around and request certain custom molds to be made. Um, but, you know, if you're just going online and looking for normal, through normal packaging websites like Front Container or Container and Packaging Supply or Specialty Bottle or Bulk, bulk Apothecary, anything like that, um, they all seem to source from the same places anyway. So it's kind of like the whole United States, at least, all has the same pool of packaging options available. Some of them are recyclable plastic, but very few are inherently sustainable from the start. And Heidi, do you have something to add to that legally, what we're looking at here? Yes, I, I do agree that I think the, I actually wrote this down, that the regulations have become, you know, they've really established this unsustainable packaging dilemma that you guys are dealing with. I think there's a lot of things the law does that makes it so sustainability is impossible. I think one of the most glaring things to me is uh, the childproof packaging that you need out of California and a lot of other states. I don't know if you've actually looked at the regulations that apply to the testing on these products, but they literally give them to kids in a room and they say try and the kids will play with them. If after five minutes the kids haven't used their teeth, the people can come in and the only language they're allowed to say during this testing procedure is, you know you can use your teeth, right? And then the kid can go through there and they just sit in these rooms and they try to rip these bags apart. Now I understand that, you know, this might just be a growing pain of the early legalization here. Frankly, the fact that we have to put this in child safety bags is really a relic. It, it goes and shows how cannabis is still being seen as a vice industry. Mm -hmm. uh, so I do think that you're going to see that change in the future. But right now you got to comply, right? And so I think one of the biggest things that we can do, and we're seeing a lot of innovation in the Pacific Northeast on this, and it's kind of exciting, this kind of full circle 
but we're seeing a lot, in, a lot of R&D around hemp. Hemp is actually a very difficult substance to get through, to break, to rip. And so what we're seeing is that this hemp industry is now starting to do its own R&D with a little bit of the recycled or should be disposed of processes. So I do think that there's ways that we're working around a lot of these limitations now, and we can work with each other to build up the industry and use each other's waste and pay each other for each other's waste and really kind of have this cyclical uh, environment. But I absolutely do take responsibility for the fact that your need to do that, your need to spend more money on that, the fact that you can't tax deduct any of that activity, that really falls on the regulators. So for me, one of the things that I'm really interested in as part of the Cannabis Alliance, this has been a huge push for us, is what you guys are seeing in your frustrations. When I see your heads nod over a certain topic, that really resonates with me because that's something I'm gonna bring back to the Alliance. But I know for me, the first and foremost thing that I deal with in frustration is these stupid regulatory requirements that reflect the fact that this is still considered a vice industry. And I do think that that will change. But right now we do need to be compliant and we do need to maintain best practices. And I think the way we can do that is by relying on each other within this hemp industry or cannabis industry, marijuana as well. Just trying to tailor this to the CBD discussion. Thank you, Heidi. Uh, Aubrey? I agree with a majority of what Heidi's saying. Um, in the natural products industry, one of the biggest things, you go, pick, you go pick up a bottle of fish oil or a, a testosterone supplement or something like that, a lot of the packaging will say made in a GMP facility. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and they'll, they'll state out that if it was, uh, the packaging was also created in the United States. Um, and they make sure they put the recycling, the recyclable label on there. Um, so there's some standards that were set in place in that respective, in that industry, but uh, there's things that I don't see in fully in place in regards to, um, well, overall standard in the cannabis sector, especially as it relates to packaging. Uh, you look at Canada, what's going on there, but that's more for recreational marijuana, but how they're regulating, you know, you're not able to have, not able to have pictures of the flower and stuff on the packaging. Um, I, I think a good example um, that for this industry that we can learn from is Tokyo Smoke. Um, they have some of the most high-end, sleekish packaging, and um, they didn't spare, pretty much spare any expense to make that a, a reality. Uh, and I think, in, in many ways, that's probably why they, why they were acquired by Haiku Brands, um, just because they understood and they and they got it. Um, the, their executive team they put together uh, some pretty good standards. But I think, as a whole, the industry that's one of the things that the industry is lacking is um, a group that can be the catalyst to push. Uh, a set of standards that can be the uh, the the industry gold standard, so to speak. Thank you, Carlton. I really I, everything that's been said so far is so so helpful, and I couldn't agree with more. Uh, the one thing I would build off of is, as part of being informed with this constantly changing landscape, definitely checking out resources like. Uh, cannabis in packaging magazine that I believe the Mace Media Group uh, puts out. This will help you understand what potential, you know, developments have been made in regards to sustainable packaging. What regulations are on the horizon that might impact your ability to source the packaging that you thought was going to be the sustainable solution to this ever-changing problem. And so, being aware of what's happening on that horizon and how that's going to impact you by staying informed is crucial to being on your toes. Thank you, Carlton. I think one thing about sustainable packaging that we really have to look at is how much of an effort you are, have to put out there to develop the packaging 
and the added extra cost. And I know that we want to be sustainable, but there has to, I'm looking in the future, don't you think there has to be a way that maybe uh, with group purchasing together or um, reaching out in partnership that maybe we can help bring the cost down to be not only sustainable, but to be cost effective. And then that's the bottom line for a lot of people. So have any of you worked on maybe being a little bit more cost effective in your practice of developing your products? So I had a dilemma with one of my products where I needed a scooper, a very small scooper, and I also have a very small jar. And so I was running into the issue of not really having it match up. I could get the right size scooper, but it would be too big. Um, and if there was any option even close, it was just a really cheap piece of plastic. Um, so the solution that I ended up coming up with was I worked with some uh, engineers in Denver to 3D print um, out of hemp plastic, the perfect size scooper that could fit into my jars. And so it is a bit pricier than, you know, a cheap piece of imported plastic from China. But the way I see it, it's kind of a cost that has to be worn by somebody because right now our manufacturing processes and global distribution is not accurately priced into materials and goods. So, uh, you know, to pay a little bit extra to have something that's radically more sustainable and closed loop than, um, you know, importing something from around the world that costs 20 cents. You know, it, at, at a certain point, you have to, you know, keep people and planet in mind alongside profit. So, um, I don't really know. Does that answer? Right. And Carlton, you had something? I, I have two points. One, I want to directly build off that. Uh, a problem a lot of manufacturers in the Northwest face, and I'm sure this was universal when uh, the initial tariff talks between the U.S. and China came out, is it was really hard to source material from across the ocean. And when we talk about sustainability, it means having your product be on that shelf, finding local manufacturers to not only build what you need, but maintaining those relationships through these turbulent times is a big part of sustainability. So incurring those costs up front to know you've got confidence long term is definitely something to consider. Uh, in another sort of light, what we did as manufacturers of a beverage product, uh, it was an RTD product, is we looked at small brewers. We were in the Northwest and so there's a great craft brewing community and looked at ways to share in the purchase of large pallets of bottles. As a company starting out, it was really effective to look at a similar industry, a shared need in work together because in the process I was also able to develop relationships that I took into my consulting practice where I've been able to help companies enter the CBD and recreational marijuana spaces bringing quality products to consumers uh, at the same time. Wonderful. Um, Aubrey, in the packaging that you've assisted and worked on, what have you found successful in that outreach? I know you have a lot of background in the natural food products, but many of those same practices, I think, can come over into CBD and cannabis products as well. For sure. Um, one of the lead products that I invented when we first started Blue Dream Ministries, we were originally doing um, the, the whole housing of the, the, the product, the top part of the unit was... Um, BPA free plastic and um, that's something that I was very familiar with coming out of the natural product space but doing further and further research we decided to go in the the way of stainless steel and glass uh, some of the clients we, we deal with um, you know, we've been dealing with people more on the side of uh, people exploring hemp plastics they haven't really uh, took that step yet but um, you know making 
smaller. And the, the big thing too is um, the outer casing of a package. A lot of time, it's I feel like it's um, it, there's there's still there's still too much. Uh, when you open something up for the most part, there's still too much um, activity around it, I like to say. Um, really showing up and cu not cutting corners, but it's just uh, making shorter boxes or shorter, um, like if something goes in a little bag, you know, um, just really cutting out a, a lot of the excess space that's there. I think that's one of the biggest things I've seen. I just, I've looked at... I can't even tell you, like thousands of packages, like literally over the past five years of my life. And I'm just like, like there's only this little package of such such, such, such in here. It's like when you open up a, ba a bag of chips and there's like so much air at the top of the bag of chips. It's like, right. why? So I just think that there's this, it's, that's, that's an opportunity right there because that is so much waste right there. You can condense it. You can actually, there's more shelf space. You can shelf a lot more product. And you can cut down, you know, the, the land, the amount of stuff that's going in landfills. So it's, it's a win-win for the uh, the market as a whole, if people could actually just look at, okay, how much actual space, how much dead space is left in their packaging. Heidi? Yeah, and I, you know, I really agree with those margins from a business perspective. You know, the 0.1% can really make a big deal. And I was actually just doing some research on this, and exactly to your point, the standards right now is if you're buying your ganj in a standard opaque plastic container. What you're doing right now, what you're seeing on average, is if you're buying seven grams or more, you're getting four times more package than product. If you're buying less than two grams, you're getting six times more package than product. That's a huge amount of excess product. And these margins really make a difference in your profitability. You can get more product on the shelf. You can spend less time not only building these actually processes out, but shipping them, having somebody actually put shit into these oversized packages. You're spending extra money every step of the way that you use extra plastics. So it's good not only for the environment, but it's good for your bottom line. Yeah. Well, you know, in packaging, I know that there are certain limitations in milligram count. Mm -hmm. And I know in certain states and that it's limited to dosing in 10 milligrams. So if you have a 100 milligram product, then you have to look at being able to project that 10 milligram count to be legal. I mean, that's a big cost right there in all that extra packaging. Have you found any... Um, you know, support to being able to do this a lot more uh, cost-effective-wise? You know, I'd actually be interested in hearing your thoughts from the natural food world, because right now the regulations require a lot of things be packaged and sold individually, particularly with the edibles. The amount of packaging that goes into each little thing, and then that's in a box, and then that comes in a box, and then that goes on a shelf with extra signage, I think the single-use packaging is something that's just like the child-to-go bags, something you're seeing because people are worried about these vice industries and these overdoses and these really scary things that come along with drugs. I think you're going to see that diminishing, but I think it's a huge problem right now. And I would just be curious to know, did the natural foods, did the supplements start that way? Or how did that evolve? Oh yeah, the supplement started that way, and then they had a, there was a law called the Shea that were they were attempting to pass, um, and it was like where you would have you couldn't just you know set up a business and put your capital in and just go in. You would have to get a license to sell vitamins and stuff like that. But um, which to me is just heinous. But um, 
one of the biggest things that I, I took away because I, I owned a supplement brand I also co-owned a retail store as well so I saw it from two sides of the spectrum I saw it from someone who was purchasing products at a wholesale level someone who was going to Expo East Expo West these, these big natural products trade shows and seeing you know the beating actually meeting the suppliers talking to them asking asking them certain questions face to face and then you know shelving it at my store and then at the same time with my supplement brand having the inside scoop you know saying okay we're going to tailor our packaging like this like for instance we didn't have um for any of our products we didn't have a box it was just the bottle we wanted to keep it as um as minimal as possible so once you once you get done with the bottle you just discard it and put it in the recycling bins there was no extra uh packaging or anything for you to fumble, fumble around with but one of the the most ingenious things that i saw in the natural products game was these the, the um i forget the exact name of them but they're like the um like you put them up on the like almost like an end cap you put them up on the aisle like um say if it's cold and flu season right and it's like a little like satchels sachets of tea or whatever you would a person like the the consumer could just walk up take one satchel off and just come up to the register instead of having to have a whole cool. space with boxing you know with a big box and taking just you know taking up so much shelf space so i think with the um like what heidi was just talking about with the um all the nuisances of the packaging and um i think that's one of the biggest things that they that can be done is making making uh the packaging and the um like the shelf like the the end cap spaces in a way where you can fill up as much retail space inside of a store as possible without um being outside of the parameters of what the industry is expecting you know, a couple of things that you guys have mentioned, and I actually felt the audience kind of perk up, was utilizing products that are made out of hemp. Number one, the sustainability. Number one, that this product is so underutilized right now, and it really, I feel, it's an exciting thing. Have any of you guys ever developed or utilized uh, personally with your products hemp? Yeah, so I have a, a few examples of my 3D printed hemp plastic scoops here. I also brought, um, this is from my friends, their company is called Sauna Packaging. They're based out of Boulder, Colorado. This is also hemp plastic. This is a dube tube, child resistant. Um, but this is made out of a mold. And so they also have a flower container that can hold like an eighth um, or a vape pen or something that's also made from a mold that hemp plastic is put into. Um, so two different types. And then I'd also say that, you know, packaging, yeah, is specific to the product, but there's also so many things surrounding that that you can use sustainably. Like my business cards are printed on hemp paper. You know, you can print your literature, your brochures on hemp paper or other plant-based things like that. So like admittedly, the, the any hardy plastic thing like this you know the molds cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to make 3d printing is highly efficient and extremely exciting manufacturing process but again doesn't really work for like a screw top at this point and is kind of for more niche things like this um, but yeah everything surrounding the product itself hemp is really exciting so, you know, off the top of your head, can you uh, share with uh, our audience the price difference between, say, a regular business card and a hemp business card? Um, yeah, it's going to, 
I, I don't know exactly off the top of my head. It's more expensive. Like you can get cheaper business cards at Vistaprint any day of the week. But you know, just going that extra step, I think if you care, it shows that you care. And you can just have a good conscience knowing that you're not supporting trees getting cut down just so that you can hand out a business card to somebody and they can throw it out two days later. So Yes, Heidi. Yeah, and, and on that note, again, it's, it's not the actual uh, people who are in the industry's fault right now about um, any of these types of products. It, it's actually the regulations, right, that are, that are really causing this. And I think what you're seeing right now, and not to get too into this if, if you guys aren't into the legal perspective, but right now we're operating under a lot of the laws with hemp that were put into place in 2014. A new law is going to be filed on Monday. It will be probably passed by the House and Senate this week, and then I'm predicting our president might sign it before the 21st. Mm -hmm. What that will do before the new year, what that will do is it will open up hemp from just pilot programs where you had to be licensed. I anticipate it's gonna go into all 50 states. I also anticipate that you're gonna have to opt in, so you will see regulation in the states. But what you're going to see is that the costs are going to go down. We're going to see a 4,000% growth in just the growth of domestic hemp. And obviously, I'm a huge fan of the domestic suppliers. I think that we can sustain each other and cut some of the bigger players and the Chinas and the Indias out of this market, which I think would be great for us. But I think right now, the cost is clearly far higher for hemp because you have to jump through all these hoops. You have to be licensed. There's arguments about whether or not you can transport it interstate, right? Um, those will all fall away as early as December 21st. So if you're thinking about getting into hemp, please do know that those costs are going to go way, way down. And once you get these new industry participants who are coming in, you might see a farm out of, you know, I don't know, any state, uh, Wisconsin maybe, where we've got a lot of agricultural conversions going on. And they're gonna say, hey, we'll offer you a 75% discount if you'll contract with us for the next two years. Take advantage. Strike while the iron's hot. Get those contracts for yourselves before Target comes in and consolidates them and takes them away from you. So be ready, get those contracts ready. Start making the phone calls now and say, hey, in two weeks, this might change. Do you wanna be my guy? And start being that industry leader. People will lean on you and they'll give you better discounts. So it's a good way to look forward. Thank you, Heidi. Carlton, did you have something to I, add? I do. I do. I just love what both Alex and Heidi have shared because coming from the recreational cannabis space, we struggle a lot with IP protection. And uh, something we've seen done novelly and something we're exploring doing is merchandising on hemp textiles. Uh, not only does it do a great job of solidifying your brand story, but one of the crucial ways of protecting something that is right now federally illegal to some extent is by protecting your merchandise. And once you integrate kind of a sustainability ethos into the way you're presenting your brand, it's a lot easier to have your packaging be perceived in that light. And this is something to take into account when you're talking about scaling because there's always going to be points where we're going to have to not necessarily cut corners but not do things as ideal as we would want to get to the size we, would, we hope. So with that in mind, look at other ways to incorporate sustainability in those values. Uh, our company also donates 5% of our proceeds to nonprofits, and this is something we've seen frequently in this space uh, that I think is definitely a part of this bigger vision of sustainability. And you know, thank you so much. Alex, I want to know if I can take that and pass it around for everybody to check out. Would you guys like to see a look at his hemp dupe tube and uh, spoon? So This is so cool. 
was just like geeking out, like, that's it, that's what I want. It's very strong, yeah. So, you know, with this, um, let's. I want to touch upon the child-proof packaging. It's kind of different in every state, and the requirements of it is really, I feel, adding a lot of bulk and a lot of unnecessary packaging. And if we want to be sustainable, I, I think one thing that we've seen in a lot of states that are been a little bit more progressive from Colorado, Washington, uh, Oregon, is that um, even though the law passed at the certain date, within six months, it's changed. So legally, Heidi, can you kind of touch upon that, those changes in those laws for manufacturers? And I know it's just very frustrating. Yes. Yes, I think there's really kind of two aspects to that discussion. And the first is that the states uh, all differ. And you'll see when the 2018 Farm Bill comes down, you're going to see more regulation from the states. The states are going to be very different in what they require from child safety to single use to the labeling, the actual information that must be on it. You're going to see all sorts of differences among the states. So it's a good idea now to look ahead and look what they're doing in their recreational marijuana markets if they exist right now. Look at the states around them. States tend to kind of group themselves together and you can anticipate what's going to come up in the states that you want to participate in. The other issue with this is the rapidly changing laws. We in Washington just had a new law come into place where they said, no more marijuana leaves. Can't show the leaf anymore. So I had a client who showed the leaf. He had a billboard outside. He called his landlord and said, how do I get up there? I got to get the leaf off of it. The landlord's in China. So the guy didn't do it. So he ended up getting an administrative violation notice. Then he sent an employee up there on a ladder. And they literally took it down. But so now he's got this administrative violation notice where he's about to lose his license because he had a marijuana leaf up on a billboard. So what we did was we actually looked into the law in Washington and these laws are changing so quickly that sometimes the legislatures can't close all their doors too, right? There's a couple T's that aren't crossed, a couple I's that aren't dotted. And what we found out was that they were relying on the criminal code. The criminal code requires you show a root structure. A leaf does not show a root structure. So I told them, let's go, let's litigate this, let's go to court. We spent about $30,000 before the state said, okay, so hold on, we think you might be right on this one. <laughs> and they dismissed the complaint against my client, and two weeks later, they changed the Washington Administrative Code to address our case. So what you can say about that is, first of all, if that client had known down the road that this law was coming into place, he could have contacted his landlord and gotten that off the billboard ahead of time. So what you need to be able to do is look forward and know what's coming down the road. The second part of that is you need to be able to be flexible. And if we're talking about sustainability, one of the biggest things I see right now is that if you are printing things using plates and coming from a printing family, trust me, I know that that's the most cost-effective way to do it. You make a plate, you make a, I mean, they're just polyester, they're not even plates anymore these days. But that's what you're doing for your labeling. That's not going to work going forward because you're going to need to be able to be flexible. You're gonna to need to be able to change your label for the state. You're gonna be able to you're gonna to need to be able to change your label because you're not allowed to show this image anymore or you're gonna get a license violation. You will be shut down by the federal government and you'll be eating those costs until you can get yourself back up, which you might not be able to do. So what I've seen in the Washington market is I've seen businesses completely shut down 
because a single administrative violation over their advertising and they just can't catch up. They're spending too much money trying to play Monday morning quarterback. So what you really need to do is look down the road. Look at what the states are doing around the states you wanna be in. Start positioning yourself so that if a change does come, you can either pull the product immediately or you can have a new label being sent out to your distributors. But if you really don't want to have your business shut down by enforcement agencies, you gotta make sure you're doing that when it comes to your sustainable practices. Be flexible. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, is there a site that we can look to for what state we're in? I mean, I know for in California, there's the uh, Bureau of uh, Cannabis that is a, you know, a state-run agency. Um, but what about in other states, Heidi? Do you know? Yeah, it, you know what's funny is, obviously, that's what we sort of do as a law firm, is I will go to the meetings, I will go to the legislative sessions, I'll wonder why this congressman's been out of the office for a week, and I'll do a public records request. I'll do those things and those investigations to figure them out. However, and I'm sitting here going through my email right now because just last week a coworker sent me a link to a website where you have to pay, I think it's $40 a month, but they'll give you the transcript of every liquor and cannabis board in the country's meeting of that week. Mm. So you can read through and see their transcripts. You can see that they're considering an amnesty program for this one violation. Okay, so if you've got that violation, you could maybe relax a little bit because it seems like they might not come down on you for that. I mean, there are these different resources, and I'm happy to push that along to you as soon as I can pull it up and see if it's helpful. But I can tell you that I'm from a small cannabis firm. I came from a huge environmental firm, took a risk, I'm working with five people right now. We are regularly considered in-house counsel for major law firms because they have regular practices and they'll give a quick call to us and say, hey, hold on, what about this? And I'll say, stop, 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 that's a true party of interest violation, or no, that's gonna fly in the face of the law, that becomes effective December 1st, so don't do that now or it's gonna be a waste of money. There are resources that you can do that on, but you really gotta have your ear to the ground these days. I would suggest you do uh, NORML, which is National Organization Reform Marijuana Laws, I'm on the board for that, and we work on legislation and keeping everybody informed of as much as we can, keeping up to date with any changes. So, um, yes. seen it in Washington, you've seen it in Colorado, you've seen it in Canada. Yeah, I do think you're going to see that. And I, I think the primary reason though is, is because of a certain stigmatization that is around the leaf right now. In some ways it's appealing to children, it appeals to the black market, right? That's what the arguments are. So that's why you're seeing it being pulled off labels. I do think you'll see it pulled off labels in the future. 
Do I think you might see it come back later once this is no longer considered a vice industry? Possibly. But right now, I would have an alternate ready to go. And I would so have both. In like the current states, like if we go launch in January, yeah. um, would, would suddenly Colorado, are we not allowed to do that in Colorado, Washington right now? Or? Well, you would have to be careful with your animals because I know right now that Colorado really, yeah, they yeah. really regulate the animals that you're able to show. I don't think you're allowed to show a bear. Yeah. I, I want to talk to that. It's this image of like what children like is sort of this fun thought experiment 50 plus year old legislators like to play where it's like anything that is at all fun or like lighthearted we can't put on our products because God forbid a child sees that and puts one and one and one and one and one together and then gets it somehow through numerous other security protocols. And what we've seen is Oregon, for instance, has a label you have to put on all products that indicates it's a marijuana product. This is the cannabis leaf and it's in bright red and it's on all products. Mm -hmm. This is in stark difference to neighboring states and regulatory bodies that want to move away from that imagery. And so the importance of either having a brand identity that is very either abstract and not going to hit these issues or as Heidi pointed out, alternatives where you can put your brand in different contexts in different states is one of the best strategies I would recommend. Yeah, and just from a brand protection standpoint too, the more uh, unique, the more unrelated your content is to what you're actually selling, the more protectable it is. So the arbitrary nature between Apple and computer, there's no connection between the two. That's a very protectable brand. But if you're doing green cannabis, green cannabis, they're the same thing. That's not gonna be protectable from a brand standpoint, from a trademark, st trademark standpoint. So it's not great in terms of being able to keep up with the law, and it's also not great for being a unique brand. There are certain rules with branding where if your brand is tied to the location you're in, things like that that are kind of generic statements, which the marijuana leaf is being considered, it's not protectable. Don't label your brand Mary Jane. Don't label it leaf. Don't label it green. Don't put a marijuana leaf on there and have that be your only identifying mark. The more unique, different, and in the legal world it's called arbitrary, the more arbitrary your mark is, the more protectable it is. So I think there's a variety of reasons to go away from the leaf, even though I personally love it and I wear a pin on it most days. <laughs> and uh, there is that famous case that was brought against Snoop Dogg and his yes. product that had a, a cannabis leaf on it. And the can Canada actually uh, brought suit against him because they were saying it was a maple leaf. And he was able to prove that it was a cannabis leaf, and so I believe the charges were dropped. And then again, that's that type of branding yep. and to protect yourself. But not only trademark, I think wordmark yep. is another good partnership in protecting your brand and labeling as well. Um, I know that um, as we move forward, a lot of this is uncharted territory. And I think it takes people who are going to be brave and want to push forward. And we are testing the market of what we can and what we can't do legally, as well as trying to build a brand that is uh, providing a medicine for better health and wellness. So I think maybe if we get, believe me, we've all seen the green crosses. I don't think that's against the law, mm -hmm. but it's kind of uh, an older, uh, branding method. So I think being clever, sharp, forward thinking, as well as protecting yourself are really good things there. Um, and coming from, you know, I want to look at products like tinctures and uh, topicals. 
I've seen so much packaging that I'm thinking, why are they packaging this way? Don't they see that this is a waste of having a jar inside a box and then uh, 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 the plastic wrapping around it? I mean, what can we do to actually streamline that to where we can still show a product well but not waste so much? Has anybody had any experiences with that? I've had a lot of experience with that. Um, it came to a point with my Elite Alchemy brand, this is previous to cannabis, my my, just my regular supplement brand. Um, we were starting to get on shelves in such places as Corrochiba, Brazil, and Medellin, Colombia. So instead of creating a whole new set of packaging with Spanish labeling on it, we went to the company that was making our, that was, that was uh, doing our packaging and our distribution side. And I said, um, you know, we should do a label where they can peel the label and th it'll be a second layer of wording on it but everything will be in Spanish. And the same thing with, um, say for instance, we start getting into more French speaking markets. That's a you know start to add a third layer where they can peel it back and it all the package all the all the literature on the packaging will be in French. So instead of getting like there's one company that I, they do I mean they do a very good amount of revenue and they're uh, they're in a good amount of the markets around the world and the natural products I don't want to put a name out there but I saw their packaging a few years back and to me it made no sense that they have bottles with French language on it, bottles with Spanish, and bottles with English. I'm like, why don't they just do the, the you know, you did a wraparound. You can save so much. Then that's, you know, you're going through printing three times. But um, to me, I think that's a very good way to solve that issue is that, say, for instance, if you're going to have um, multiple languages like that, or um, or if you just want to give more information, say you want to have, um, right, multiple states, or you want to have just something like you want to tell a story, because telling a story on your packaging is, is really what sells the products. Um, at the end of the day, pretty much everybody shops at the same marketplace, so pretty much the majority of the product is all the same. But telling your story is what really sells your brand, what sets, what sets your part, your brand from everybody else in the marketplace. So, say for instance, if you want to uh, expound on that, I think the wraparound label that you can peel is a great solution to that. Because, it, you know, it gets, uh, it gets about four or five jobs done at one time. Okay. I mean, and, and, and it's, it's basically the same cost almost as you're going to, when you're doing the print run, it's the same cost as just doing one, like one singular label. Um, Aubrey, did you have some packaging there that you wanted to share? No? These are just snacks, um, right? Yeah, oh, that's just snacks. These are just snacks, but you know, they actually, um, they did a pretty good job on their packaging. Okay. They didn't <laughs> I just much, thought that they, was this packaging. They didn't packaging. leave too much air yeah, in there, you know. <laughs> okay. They bag of single use, though. Right. Um, a bag containing a bag. <laughs> <laughs> and Carlton, and, and looking at some of your experience in the past, what do you think has been the most successes for you in, the, in your, your experience there? Um, I think the most successes have been um, definitely giving out samples um, of products and doing that in a very constricted way. Like, that's a very good way to, to run up a, a lot of just excess packaging as well through samples. Um, but like the sleeve type or the stick type packs, those were, those were an amazing um, asset to uh, get product out there and get it moving from a, a sample standpoint. Um, besides that, 
I really think just um, scaling down the amount of media you're giving the consumer. Uh, I know some people are you know up and down with QR codes, and some people you know a few years ago it was all the rage saying, "Oh, QR codes, they're they're on their way out." But that's an easier way if you have. Uh, QR code that can do most of your talking to your brand, and you can. And then also, it's advanced analytics. You're tracing a, a, you know, you can actually pull those analytics, and um, you know, everything is about data mining today. When Square first debuted, and they were giving away the Square car readers, that wasn't really a big loss to them because their whole thing was data mining. So then, when Square decided to go into um, being like a full-on small business bank, they already had all the data from the people that were running their, you know, their payment processes on the cards. So I think um, some of the biggest successes have been um, minimal packaging but at the same time um, making QR codes very visible um, telling a story and um, just really engaging with the customer and you know using that data and, and we use it in the same in a, in a specific strategy somewhat similar to what Square did um, so those type of things have been my biggest successes in the uh, the business world so far great thank you uh, Carlton how about you yeah uh, so Working with a brand firm, I, I moved from the manufacturing side to brand development because I think it's really cool to see what people are coming up with, both on the conceptual side and then how those products come to market. Uh, when we were starting, we made a tea product and we put it in a pyramid-shaped tea bag because I learned that that helps airflow with loose-leaf tea and so it would bring up the quality of my product. Uh, then when we were looking at distribution, I recognized, oh shit, I could take a square box turn it into a triangle and literally double the amount of units I can fit in a box. That decision also creates a very unique brand identifier for me and my company, allows us to stick out on shelves and ended up saving us money in printing costs. And so looking at sort of what your story is, both on like a very literal level, we do pyramids, pyramid box, pyramid, pyramid, as well as like, what are you trying to convey to your consumer? For us, you know, it's health and wellness. And so our packages are, you know, well designed and beautiful, but we do more emphasis on uh, point of sale marketing because for us in the dispensary, we're competing for shelf space and often it's overwhelming for the consumer. But then if we can focus their attention at that point of sale to our product, we tend to find better returns. And I know it's hard when you're in e-commerce, primarily business, shipping all over the country to have that kind of footprint at that point of sale, but it's a way of cutting down on marketing costs and packaging costs while maintaining a presence uh, in the store. Thank you. I love pyramids. And right. Heidi, how about you? And you have some successes with your clients that you want to share us about in packaging? Sustainability. You know what's funny though is I told my buddies at Sana that I would plug them, but no, sounds really? like you already did oh, too. Yeah. <laughs> so Sana's really doing a lot of R&D. You'll see a lot of uh, research and development totally internally. And the one thing I wanted to mention during this panel too was that I fully appreciate everybody integrating this stuff into their their own existing brands. I think that's really important. There's comp you can have a company around providing sustainable packaging to cannabis companies. So this could be a whole ancillary business for you as well. If you're looking for somewhere to get into, if you think that you've got some sort of good connections in materials, or if you can do some sort of R&D, there are whole cannabis companies dedicating whole sections of their business to this. So not only is this part of the cannabis business, but it's a separate business in and unto itself. And once you know the 2018 Farm Bill is passed and this is all over the country, 
I think you're going to see a huge expansion for companies who are simply providing sustainable packaging to these companies. And I really like that the prices are going to be coming down with, when that passes too. Alex, how about you? Any successes that you want to share with us in regards to your packaging and sustainability? Um, yeah, so kind of as I mentioned before, just like wrapping, controlling everything I can to be sustainable, you know, um, is not possible, but you know, choosing the business cards and the brochures and the marketing materials, and then, you know, this is a step in the right direction, getting these produced. Um, I'm, you know, continually looking for the right things to do. And um, so those, those are my successes, but one thing I would say that I've noticed is that on these bulk packaging supply companies, some of them have cannabis sections now, so they're taking note of this uh, you know, booming industry demanding certain types of packaging. And if we collectively demand sustainable options, they will start to do that because they just want to make money, and if that's where they're going to make the money, then we should just continue to pressure them to do the right thing. So we should look at our audience here and let them know that they have the power to influence. If they reach out to people that their suppliers that they're working with and share that with them and see if they're open, but if they're not, go to somebody else. And I think in the, uh, the, the Mace Media's um, magazine on packaging, I think there's a lot of great resources there that you can utilize to be able to um, find a type of packaging that's going to keep you forward thinking and as well as being good to the environment and be able to highlight your product as well. Um, I know we're at the last panel of the day, but um, I think we can go ahead and um, if you guys have an, anything else you'd like to share, then I'd like to open it up to some Q&A. Anything else? No? No. All right. Does anybody have any questions for our panels? Yes. Yeah, S-A-N-A. And they are super helpful and collaborative. If you give them a phone call, there's certain people there who are so excited about what they're doing, they will just tell you. So look for those opportunities. Look for that place where you can say, hey, I'd like right of first purchase. If this farm bill passes, I want right of first purchase. Get yourself in there. Oh, the company that was handling our package at the time was um, uh, Planet Fulfillment. Okay. So, so they, they make like that peel sticker? Yes. Oh, uh, similar to that, uh, what we have to do because of our testing criteria in rec markets is we have a generic label and then we print all of our variable for, uh, uh, changing information in-house. So that's the production dates and things like that. Creating a simple template and then moving a lot of that printing work in-house uh, improves your turnaround time, allows you to like recall product more effectively yes. as well, unfortunately, and is a really great control step. Uh, so just something to consider is breaking apart that packaging step to, you know, it's each component, printing, labeling, packaging, et cetera. Anyone else? Yes. Yeah. 
got to hide the pocket. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's biodegradable peanuts for sure. Yeah. yeah. And then also with the um the like the the packs that they put in like the plastic packs with the air bubble, they have the uh the green friendly ones too. I think it's I think they're called Eco Pack. Yeah. So those are on the market. Those exist. Yeah, I used to use those. There's for so shipping. many options. There's really no reason that anybody should be using anything non-recyclable in their shipping materials. Even tape can be made out of like paper material these days. So. And there's, there's a lot that's uh, done out of recyclable materi materials that they've taken paper and they've recycled it and they're using it specifically for like aerated packages for packing. So I don't know those companies. Yeah, and I've even seen some research lately uh, where companies are doing some really cool things in R&D where they'll have a paper box and they let the paper box with the product sit in a room with these nitrogen components for a while and then they take them out of that and put them in the truck and it actually sustains the life of the product for a long time without the need to uh, use excess plastics or actually seal things airtight. So there are certain, depending on what your branding is and what your, you know, your goal is for your brand in terms of using other chemicals and clean chemicals and things like that, there are some really cool creative solutions mm -hmm. so that you don't even have to use uh, typical packaging the way that we think of it. There are ways to treat these products and throw them in a bucket, right? What it's going to come down to is a lot of the regulation. So I think you're going to see a lot of regulation around interstate hemp and it'll say it needs to be sealed before it goes into this location and things like that. So we will be shifting the responsibilities as to who has to do the packaging. But if you're thinking about just getting into a transportation business, which I think is huge, if you look at what's going on in California, Washington, Canada right now, they are making the producers and processors take full responsibility for the packaging of that product even before it gets to the retailer. So if you're thinking about being in the transportation business, that's not even your liability. Mm -hmm. So that would be a great place to increase your margins. That would be a great business to get into right now. You're just suggesting a lot of new businesses There's for everybody. So much, yeah. Yes. And I'd rather see us get into it than the Walmart subsidiary. Right. Yeah. The corporation of cannabis and the CBD. Any other questions? Number one, I want to share with you, the audience, how um, honored it is to have you here, to know that you are interested in moving forward with responsibility in this industry. And I really applaud you for that. And I would also like to take time to thank our amazing panel. Their expertise, their history, their background is really uh, wonderful. So if you want to talk to them afterwards personally, I know that they'll be available to that. Carlton, Aubrey, Heidi, and Alex, thank you so much. And if we can give a nice hand to them. And to our moderator, Thank you, And Aubrey's now going to share with us some of his snacks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>